You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. On May 31st, 2010, the Seattle Mariners were at home playing the Minnesota Twins in the first of a four-game regular season series. The season was almost a third complete by that point. And so far, the Twins are pretty good. The Mariners are pretty bad. Not much was at stake. That's to short right field. Kadair's got a cannon, and they won't even try. Two down. The Twins won that game 5-4, to four, and everyone headed home. Business as usual. But by the time Game 2 rolled around the next day, it wasn't business as usual. Ken Griffey Jr. was missing. The 10-time Gold Glove winner 13-time All-Star, League MVP, and future Hall of Famer had vanished overnight. For a brief time, the fans didn't know where he was, his teammates didn't know, his manager didn't even know. But his agent, Brian, did. I think he called me right when he was getting in the car. Like, he just said, you know, hey, I'm in the car, nothing's going to stop me, I'm going, I'm done, and just needed a head start and give him a few hours, and then they could tell everybody what was going on. Brian gave Jr. that head start. Then he called the president of the Mariners at the time, Chuck Armstrong. He said, you're going to get a call from Jr. in, I think he said, what, half an hour or something like that. And um, you're probably not going to like what he's going to have to say. I said, okay. Do you remember getting that call? Yep. Yep. I do. And uh, I asked where he was, and he said he was getting gas. I thought he was calling to tell me he was at, the gas, at a gas station driving to the ballpark, and we were going to have a talk when he got here. And I didn't know until later in the conversation that he was getting gas in Montana. Not even halfway into his 22nd year as a pro, Ken Griffey Jr. had gotten into his car that night after the Mariner game. He drove away from Safeco Field, the stadium nicknamed the house that Griffey built. Later, he pulled into a gas station in Montana, called his boss, and retired from baseball. And then he got back in his car and drove 48 hours straight to Florida. When you read that story, like, what did you, what was your, how did you react? Was there anything surprising about that to you? Not at all. He, he does things on his own terms, man. I think that's one thing that we certainly can take away is that the most powerful thing that we have in our lives is choice. Right. And to be able to choose our own path, our own destiny, our own, you know, so, okay. If that's what he wants to do, do it in your, on your own terms, in your own way. Before he drove away, junior's 2010 season had not been going well. He couldn't play the way he used to. And it was showing some fans booed him at a home game. Jim Capel, a writer for ESPN at the time wrote about junior a couple weeks before he retired. Capel said, quote, He's too great a player to end his career with people booing because he didn't know when to say goodbye. Griffey came into the majors as the kid. It'd be a shame to see him go out as Grandpa Simpson. Every single one of his mistakes, his victories, his defeats, it's like everything is magnified 100%. And he's living that pressure of saying, I don't get to make a lot of my mistakes privately, right? What are we really doing, right? If we trying to like pick all this apart, what are we really trying to achieve with that? All we're going to prove is that he's human. 
We started this show by asking the question, was Ken Griffey Jr. a baseball prodigy? With his natural talent, his joy for the game, it's pretty clear that he was. But in many ways, his retirement, the way it was received, and the reasons why he did it that way, is the best portrait of Junior's legacy, because it asks an entirely different question. Why do we need prodigies at all? I'm Alex Ward. I'm Kola Malik. And this is American Prodigy. The thing about prodigies is that they're young, when the world decides not just who they are, but what they will be. And Junior's had about as healthy relationship to this as any prodigy or teenage star I've ever seen. But the saying is true. First impressions are hard to change. And Griffey was such an important and beloved figure in 90s sports culture, that even while he was still playing at the end of his career, people wanted to remember that Griffey. What's the biggest difference for you between like Ken as this the celebrity that we sort of have bottled up in nostalgia and just Ken your friend like what's that biggest difference do you think he's just like other people man he's curious he's smart he loves exploring different things he, you know that's why he's into all these things like photography and getting his pilot's license and doing all these cool things man the dude is just He's just down to earth and he's humble, man. And I think that's the biggest misconception that most people have is like he's some sort of aloof, you know, type of celebrity dude. And he's and it's and it's so not true about him, man. The suddenness of Junior's departure in 2010 didn't sit well for some people to leave without a ceremonial last wave from the dugout for someone that meant so much to the Mariners franchise felt wrong. You know, it was, in a lot of ways, it was quintessential Griffey, kind of doing it his own way. That's Larry Stone, a longtime writer for the Seattle Times that covered Junior since the beginning. He says Griffey's last season for the Mariners, while sentimental for the fan base, wasn't great for Junior. He was pretty much at the end of the rope there. He was 40 years old. He was not hitting. Uh, you know, there was a story that came out that he had been napping in the middle of a game when they wanted him to pinch hit, and that, that was tremendously embarrassing to him. According to ESPN, early in the 2010 season, two teammates saw Griffey napping in the clubhouse during a game, and they told the press. The story came out and portrayed Ken as someone detached from the team and the game. This was not the Griffey the fans had hoped to see in his last year. So his sudden retirement on top of that didn't help even though it's what he said he'd do. You know, he just had had enough, and he had always said that he wasn't going to have a big retirement announcement. He was just going to drive away, and that's exactly what he did. Nobody really knew. He was just gone one day. A lot of star athletes on Griffey's level leave their game and then return with a different job. Some go into TV like A-Rod and Barkley. Some go into the front office like Jeter or Magic. Or if you're MJ, you just unretire. The greatest player of all time is back, and he's wearing a Wizards uniform. Junior, however, has largely stayed out of the public eye entirely since retiring. And wanting to be a private person isn't a critique at all, but maybe the game still needs him. I wish we'd hear from him more now. That's Jessica Mendoza, an ESPN broadcaster and former softball Olympian. When we talked to her months ago, 
We asked her if there was any criticism of Junior at all. I think he could still impact the game in so many ways. I know when he walks into a room, he's been a, a part of a few ESPN broadcasts um, where he's done games. And I appreciate that. At the end of the day, like, go be you. And like, I mean, he's, you know, done everything that he should for the sport. And there's no means by any means obligation. But if there's a critique, it's just like this game could still use some Ken Griffey Jr. in it. And he's alive and well and could be out there. And he does. He's active. It's not like he's completely, but um, I would love to see him more. Not long after we talked to Jess, there was news that changed that. In our last episode, we explored the dwindling number of Black players in the MLB and the challenges getting younger generations interested in baseball. And it turns out that as of this year, Jr. is returning to the game to address exactly this. He announced it on the MLB Network. Ken, this is pretty cool. Talk about your new role and what you're expecting to accomplish in your first days and weeks on the job. I just want to go out there and, and do the things that I'm comfortable doing, and that's trying to get kids to play baseball. And I, I think that's the the one thing. I mean, my kids played football uh, and baseball, and they went over to football. But, uh, you know, I'm trying to get kids to, to play baseball. I think it's the greatest sport in the world, and I want more kids to play. He's now the senior advisor to the commissioner. In his new appointment, one of the things that he's expected to do is help improve diversity at the amateur levels of the game, with a special emphasis on youth baseball. I think that's why they put him in a position that he's in right now. He's going to be an incredible ambassador to bring young, talented black kids back to the game. Our producer, Jessica, who we heard last episode, wasn't as optimistic as Cola. This is just the cynic in me talking. Do you think that the way the MLB's set up, do you think that Ken is able to succeed in his new position or is it just like a recipe for failure and they're just doing this because we're all talking about diversity and inclusion? <laughs> That's a great question too. And I mean... I hate being a cynic. I really do. <laughs> you know, but with Ken in that position, he's a competitor. And I still think that mm. that competitive fire is alive in him. He's smart. He's a smart businessman. He's a smart dude. It's just like with the Jackie Robinson thing, the story that you shared, Jessica, that I'm just like blown away by that. It didn't take someone coming up to Ken and going, hey, you know what would be a good idea? He thought of that. He came up with that because it was something that was like in his heart and it was burning. He was like, man, you know what? I'm going to take some action on this. I'm going to do something. And, and it's not going to be just him. But I believe that he's going to be the catalyst of some real serious change. I think there was a strategic acceptance of the job, not just a strate strategic by MLB. But I think Ken was he, he doesn't make moves without thinking them through. He didn't just go, whoa, I'm not doing anything. Sure. Yeah, I'll take the. <laughs> he thought this through and he is going to be really intentional with it. And you watch. I, I He's a giver, man. And I think that he knows that he has value inside that he can add to the uh, next generation. The fact that he's back involved in the game is exciting in itself. It's a chance to take the nostalgia he summons in baseball fans and use it to move the game forward. Of all the things we wanted to get Ken on the show for, we really wanted to talk about this, the next chapter in his life, not the old ones. But despite our best efforts to get him to talk on here, he declined via his agent to be involved. So, Cola, part of your terms for coming on as a producer and a co-host of this show is that you would not leverage your relationship with Ken as a means to uh, get him here on the show. 
The way you've communicated that to me is basically that since day one from you guys met uh, back at the car stereo shop in Seattle, Mm -hmm. that you didn't know who he was. uh, He didn't know who you were, that your relationship was completely based on just being friends Mm -hmm. and that it exists fully in the private side of Ken's life, not the public baseball one that the world knows about. There's a separation between our friendship and kind of like the baseball part of it. So we don't have that expectation of one another because we both understand that 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 life is moving. And I just love that space that we're in, man. I, I love that space. And for me, it's it's a it's a sacred place, man. And, and you know, so I'm really careful to, to definitely not violate that. And um, the dude really let his game talk. He let his life speak. His life speaks volumes, right? I mean, you know, just just look. Yeah, it's true. I can speak for that firsthand. Like working on the show with you, Cola, uh, I've observed something, which is that I think Ken's understandably not interested in coming on the show, but he seems still totally interested in being there for you in other ways. Yeah. You know, just like, a, like not even a week ago. Uh, my, my son's been, you know, dealing with virtual school like a lot of these kids are, are, are dealing with, man. And it's been it's been tough, man. I mean, 2020, man, and, and the beginning of 2021 has presented us with some strange challenges. And my son is no exception, man. School has been a, a, a real struggle, man. Is this your, your youngest? Yeah, yeah. My, he's, he's 15, man. And so me and Kim were talking one day, man, my son's in virtual class. And I literally kind of go in there and interrupt him, man. I said, I got somebody on the phone and throw the phone down there. He's like, yo, what's up, man? You know, <laughs> he gets on the phone with Matias and he's like, look, you, you need to be making sure it's good, man. Don't, don't be messing around. And, you know, and he's like, who's this dad? I said, man, that's Uncle Ken. You know, he's like, oh, oh, oh. And all of a sudden, man, you know, he shapes up and he's like, okay, okay. I got, you got my attention. And Ken is like, yo, man, come on, man. I, you know, I know that there's a lot going on, but you're going to have to understand that life comes with its distractions and hang in there, man, dig in. And, you know, and so knowing that I have him as a resource to be able to be like, yo, man, I can throw him on the phone with my kid, man, to be like, yo, man, just speak a little bit of, of, of love and in, of inspiration into him, man. Or, you know, just we just protect that space and leave it as friends so he can feel like he can let his guard down. I can let my guard down and we can just be brothers. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The goal of the show was to bridge this gap between who the public junior is, the baseball player, the cultural icon, the prodigy, and the private Ken, the guy that retires without telling anyone, the family man, the friend. It's difficult to do that without speaking to him directly. But at this point, I think it's best to understand him by his actions, not his words. When Ken returned to the Mariners back in 2009, before his last season, it wasn't an easy choice. We mentioned this briefly in our last episode, but there's a lot more to it. He played the previous season in 2008 with the Chicago White Sox, but his contract was up. 
So once the season's over, there's a little bit here and there of, you know, oh, is Junior going to go finish up in Seattle? What's he going to do? Da, 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 da. That's Brian Goldberg again, Junior's agent. He says Ken had three options at this point. Retire from the game, sign one last offer he had from the Mariners, or from the Atlanta Braves. So Ken asked Brian to fly down to Orlando and help him and his family make a decision together. He, he thinks at this point he's going to play, but the first one catches him off guard. His, so he asks his son, Trey, and Trey, you know, Junior's like, you know, what do you think I should do? And Trey goes, I think you should retire, Dad. You've done enough. You've done everything. You can watch me. You can watch Taryn play. You know, you've earned it. You should retire. Then Junior asks his wife, Melissa, what he should do. And Melissa's like, eh, I still think you got a little bit left in you to get out of your system. And I think you should go to the Braves because you'll train right here for a month and a half. And it's, you know, an hour flight to Atlanta and this and that. And I think you should go to the Braves. Then he asks me and I said, you're going to have the rest of your life after this next year or two, whatever. I think you need to go back to Seattle and kind of finish where you started come full circle, and so that was the three of us. So Junior had one vote for each option, and each one is a mix of what's best for his baseball, his family, or his story. Then his daughter Taryn gets home from school, and she hasn't heard any of the discussion yet. He says, Taryn, you know, without telling anyone, her, what anyone else said, Taryn, I kind of got to make a decision here of whether, whether I play, and if so, where, and this and that. And she didn't even bat an eye. She goes, well, Dad... I'm going to miss seeing you at some of my games. We'll get them taped and this and that. But you need to go back to Seattle and finish up where you started. Two months later, Junior stepped up to the plate at Safeco Field for his first at-bat in front of the home crowd. Everyone was on their feet. There he goes. The pitch lined in the right field. That's going to get down for a base hit. So Sedania is going to make it to third. And the Mariners are open for business on opening day. Runners at first and third and only one man down. What else do you expect? Junior to come through on opening day with a base hit. It's like you can hear a wave of nostalgia washing over the crowd, watching Junior back in a Mariners uniform. People are losing their minds. So that, that first season in 2009 was great, much better than Junior could have imagined. They ended up finishing a little over 500. In the last game of the season, the team put Junior and Ichiro on their shoulders and like paraded around the ballpark and and it was it was really touching. If the 2009 season was the honeymoon of Junior coming back to Seattle, the 2010 season was when it all came back down to earth. Remember, it was only 50 games into the season that Junior got into his car and drove away from baseball. While some in the media saw that exit as quitting on the team or letting down the fans, the reason he did it that way actually was to stay true to his real self, not the celebrity self. Junior had been benched by that point in the season, and he was barely playing. And rather than sit around in the dugout for the fans' sake and their sense of nostalgia, he figured he just removed the distraction entirely. You know, he had he had decided and he always said he wanted to do it quietly. There'd be plenty of time for for fanfare at the right moment, but he wanted to do it quietly, didn't want to be a distraction, that sort of thing. Yeah, and he uh, didn't want to take up the spot of a young kid that would have deserved at least a call up, and that that's what his thing was, yeah. 
as far as the why behind it. Um, when I think a lot of celebrities or people who are known for a specific period of their life, they can't ever leave that period of their life. And I think the reason someone like Ken Griffey Jr. is able to not kind of be in that quicksand of like constantly being dragged into your own nostalgia is that he never bought into it in the first place. Like he never bought into that hype. And so because he's not constantly engaging with the media and with the people saying stuff about him, that he doesn't have to be dragged into it. That's so good. And that like, that's what so the show good, is. Bro. I mean, that's what happened on this show. And I, it's like, by the end of this, I'm like, good. I'm glad he didn't want to talk to us. I'm bummed. It would have been a great interview, right. but like, right. I get it. I think that everyone is entitled to the amount of, uh, of privacy or publicity that they kind of want. And so I respect that. I respect those, uh, those boundaries. But at the same time, I wanted to be able to just share some of what made our relationship so special. And what I think was special about a man who, you know, has just, like I said, over his life and over his career and just gave it all to the public to his family, to his team, to his city, you know, just, just gave it all. Griffey did give the Seattle fans one last piece of the old magic, though, about 10 days before he left. Nobody in the crowd knew it at the time, but in the bottom of the ninth, in a tie game against the Blue Jays, Junior made his final hit as a pro ball player. The 2-1 pitch to Junior. Swung on line to the right field for a base hit. Around third, here comes Bradley. Junior has won the ball game. My, oh my, with a shot into the right field corner. The Mariners come back from the dead and score three runs here in the bottom of the ninth. And look at him, Bob Junior, all the way out there between first and second base. And the kid who has been the franchise here in Seattle with a smile as wide as you can imagine as he comes through with a pinch hit, RBI single. The Mariners win this one four to three. My, oh my, what a way to snap a losing streak. So, Cola, that's how Griffey finished his baseball career. That one last hit, and then he, he was just gone. Yeah. But uh, I do want to end your story a bit, too, Cola, because I think it's worth saying, like, you've you've managed to make a career. It's very different from Ken's career, very different from when you guys first met. Right. But right. you've been able to make a career out of producing music, despite the sort of rocky path that you hit early on. Um and it's funny to me because after all these years, both you and Ken, despite being on these different levels of fame, fortune, are still bought and sold in nostalgia. Like a lot of your music that still sells is your stuff you did in the early 90s. Yes. Just where people remember Ken too, that early 90s on the Mariners. It's kind of that quicksand of nostalgia we talked about. For a guy like me, man, I'm, I'm like, hey, I respect 1991. I respect 1996. I respect those times in my life and, you know, whatever the case is. And, you know, uh, and I'm sure, you know, Ken thinks fondly on, you know, sliding into home in 95 and, you know, that whole thing. But it's like, 
at a certain point, you also want your story to be complete. For Ken and Cola, completing their story had a lot to do with coming back full circle to where they started and taking care of the people that got you there. Back in the early 2000s, Cola was scraping by, trying to stay afloat while raising his family and finding ways to make money beyond music. So we started looking at a small real estate investment. My first investment property was a, a house that I had bought in Seattle and fixed up and I was getting ready to sell. I took my mom by to go see it. And she's like, oh, man, this is just so beautiful. I said, here, let me take you inside. Mom showed her around. She's like, oh, it's, it's just perfect. And, and, uh, and then she kind of gave me this look and I was like, you like it, don't you, mom? <laughs> she said, I love it. Right. <laughs> my mom lived in an apartment at the time. And so. My house became her house and she still lives there to this day. So there you go. <laughs> so you never sold that as an investment? Never sold it as an investment property. My first one turned into my mother's house. So that was really cool. And I and I and that makes me feel good. And I glow inside to say that, man, that, you know, um, here was a situation that started out about, you know, me making some money and, 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 and doing a business venture. But when it came right down to it, family was it just it just trumped anything about business and money and whatever family came first. So for me, it was, it was a no brainer. And I think probably the same with, uh, with Ken in terms of like, Oh, do I choose family or, you know, maybe a little less, you know, years, more money and you know, this family just won hands down. And it just was no question. When Ken retired and drove away from Seattle for two days straight, he drove home to Orlando to be with his family. It was almost as if he'd up and quit his day job he'd had for years, and he couldn't wait to get home and start his dream job, being a full-time dad. Something I heard a lot talking to people for this show is that baseball is regenerative. It relies on the game being passed down through generations, usually from a parent to their kid. And one of the best places to do that is at the Baseball Hall of Fame where almost 300,000 people visit every year. Uh, I'm going to take you up to, uh, sort of virtually take you up to our exhibit area. That's John O'Dell, a curator at the hall who helped design Junior's exhibit. Junior was inducted into the hall in 2016 after a near-unanimous vote. And some of the stuff we'll always associate with Junior, his swing, his look, his pop culture, have been cemented forever with real objects held at the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. That's his uh, 500th home run helmet, the uh, Ken Griffey lineup card. It's his first game with his father. It's a glove that he spray painted silver, a black bat, uh, which was his signature color, a candy bar up there in the exhibit case as well. There was a Ken Griffey Jr. candy bar that came out, a chocolate candy bar. When the hall was putting Junior's exhibit together, John was adamant that they get one item in particular, his cap from the 1993 Home Run Derby. In Baltimore, when he had his cap on backwards and he was just hitting monster home run after monster home run and became the first ball player ever to hit the warehouse at, uh, at Camden Yards. That may have hit the warehouse and they announced it did. <laughs> but we, when we did our exhibit case, we said for sure that uh, we had to have this cap, which earned him, you know, the ire of traditionalists who said there's only one way to wear a baseball cap. And that, that baseball cap has to be worn straight across, flat brim, looking straight ahead. Uh, and, you know, and Ken said, baseball's a game. Let's play. Let's go have some fun.
23 years after he wore that cap. Junior himself came to the hall to see his own exhibit. The world is full of times when you find out that your heroes are not who you wanted them to be. And the pleasure was to meet him in person and find out that he was as nice and self-effacing and humble as I thought he might be or as I hoped he might be. His persona on the field and his time that we spent together, uh, he was the same guy. The reason it's important to tell Ken Griffey's story is because these are the kinds of stories that can inspire us, that can help us to understand the joy of overcoming. Ken Griffey Jr. started out as a 17-year-old phenom at the high school level, but it wasn't easy. But Ken Griffey had something a little bit different and a little bit uh, that, that took him beyond excellence and, and went out into the broader general culture. He showed that even in the midst of achieving excellence, you can also have a good time. And you can also be giving of your time. And you can also just be an ordinary person. I stand up here humbled and overwhelmed. The last couple months have been a blur. This is from Junior's speech he gave at the hall for his induction ceremony. There are a lot of people out here who, who made me the person I am today. To my dad who taught me how to play this game, but more importantly, he taught me how to be a man, how to work hard, how to look at yourself in the mirror each and every day, and not to worry about what other people are doing. See, baseball didn't come easy for him. He was a 29th round pick and had to choose between football and baseball. And where he's from in Denora, Pennsylvania, Baseball is king. But I was born five months after he, his senior year. And he made a decision to play baseball to provide for his family. And I love you for that. But I'm going to leave you with one thing. Out of my 22 years, I learned that only one team will treat you. I learned that one team will treat you the best, and that's your first team. I'm damn proud to be a Seattle Mariners. Two misconceptions of me are I didn't work hard and I made, and everything I made look easy. Just because I made it look easy doesn't mean that it was. And you don't work hard and become a Hall of Famer by not working it, working day in and day out. I want to thank my family, my friends, the fans, the Reds, the White Sox, and the Mariners for making this kid dream come true. Ken grabs a hat from under the podium, flips it backwards, and puts it on. Thank you. 
Cola, I I guess that's it, man. We uh <laughs> we spent a lot of hours talking, man. Yeah. It's, it's been a real pleasure and you know, we we didn't uh we didn't talk to Ken for the show, but I I think I think talking to you has been everything I was interested in, everything I was wanting to learn, man. So I, I appreciate your time. I just really hope that we have done some justice and, and, and I've been able to contribute to honoring a great brother, man, that I'm that I'm excited about, man. And I'm this has been dope. This has been dope, man. Well, I appreciate it. And hey, you know what? Door's still open to talk to Ken if he ever does want to. Um, Indeed. Indeed. I think if that were to happen, we'll probably announce it on this feed and say like, hey, we're going to kind of look back on on these episodes if we want, if Ken wants to ever come talk about them. So if that happens, it happens. If it doesn't, I think we, uh, I think, I I think we're happy walking away. So yeah. Thanks, Cole. Hey, man. Thank you. And appreciate this, man. This Blue Wire podcast was co-hosted by me, Alex Ward, with Kola Malik. Production and writing by myself, Caroline Losnick, and Jessica Bodiford. Editing by me and John Yales. Our music and theme song is by Kola Malik, with additional scoring by Robbie Carver. Our production coordinator is Devin Shepard. Our baseball consultant was Gabriel Baumgartner. Research assistants by Walter Heyman. And the executive producers for American Prodigy are John Yales and Peter Moses. If you liked American Prodigy, subscribe, give us a rating and a review. It helps the podcast get to more and more people. and Maybe, just maybe, get this podcast in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Thanks for listening.